0: Our next reading of Scripture is going to come from the book of Acts, from Acts chapter 16. We're reading verses 9 through 15. Acts sixteen nine through 15. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We therefore set sail from Troas and set a straight course to Symanthetris, following to to Nebulus, from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside a gate by the river, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down to speak to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira, a dealer of purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen to us eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she prevailed upon us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. One of my favorite things that I love to do. Like, there's a lot of things about preaching I enjoy doing. I, I, enjoy, I enjoy preaching on Sundays. Uh, preaching on Sundays is one of the highlights of my weeks. I, I just love the chance to come to get to open the Word of God with you and share with you and, and be in worship with you. It's, it's a joy. I think of something I heard a bishop say one day. There's two kind of preachers in the world, those who have to preach on Sunday and those who get to preach on Sunday. And I get to preach on Sunday, and I can't wait for every Sunday. It's just a joy to get to preach and to be with you on a Sunday. That's just, I, I just love it. Um, the highest privilege I have of, as a pastor is being your pastor, is being there for you in difficult times. Uh, that, that, that's the thing that I hold most sacred. And the highest honor that I have is the ability to be there with somebody in a difficult season, to hold their hand, to pray for them, to be present with them in a hard time. That, that's my highest the most sacred responsibility. But the thing that might be the most fun is Bible study. I love Bible study, and here's why. Basically, Bible study is me chasing my tail for an hour, and I love it. You've you seen the dog that starts chasing his tail and just goes in a circle forever? That's me in Bible study. I love it. it I have been known sometimes in I, I'm, I'm, I don't teach a Bible study on Friday mornings somehow I'm in a Bible study on Friday mornings and I wind up talking a lot in that I'm not even really in charge of and there's some days when we'll be in a Bible verse and we'll go backwards like we'll start off with this verse here and somehow we'll wind up three chapters before where we started and we're not even sure how that's ideal we're accomplishing nothing it's great it's so good I love Bible study now my sweet wife who's been married for me uh, for 20 years, is not as impressed with Bible study as some are. Her response to me was, Andy, I just wish you'd catch one of those rabbits you chase. Just catch one of them. Not all of them, just catch one of them. So I love Bible study. We have, we have been, as, the, as Christians, as the church, we've really been, though, in a golden age of Bible studies, there have been some amazing Bible studies that the church has had a chance to use the last 30 years. Uh, some of you may remember an author by the name of Kay Arthur. Kay Arthur was a Bible study teacher back in the 80s and to the 90s. And she had some of the best, most in-depth Bible studies that you could ever be a part of. They were, they were wonderful you know, of course, we know what a gift Beth Moore is to the church. I mean, Beth Moore and her Bible studies are just phenomenal. I love Beth Moore. Um, she's just such a, a wise teacher and a gifted teacher and loves the Lord so much. We, we, our church now is using uh, some studies by, uh, uh, by Priscilla Shire. Some of y'all may know her. Uh, her daddy is Tony Evans, who's a longtime preacher in Texas. And some of her Bible studies now are just so awesome. There's just some great studies out there. Um, I've been blessed, some of you may have been as well, to have gone through the, the, the Disciple Bible Study. That's a great study that I've been privileged enough to have taught and to have led and to have been part of. A uh, 32-week overview of Scripture. That's just a life-changing thing. These have all been Bible studies the last 30 to 40 years. They're they're just amazing. But um, Probably my favorite Bible study, though, of the last 30 to 40 years um, was a book called Experiencing God. I don't know how many of y'all have ever done or heard of experiencing God. Um, my first job out of college was um, I was the token Methodist at the Baptist bookstore. Um, that was what I, what I did. And there were so many excellent Bible studies that were at that, that, at that time. The Mind of Christ was a Bible study that some folks did that was amazing. But Experiencing God uh, was a Bible study. It was a booklet that you could read through and do. I don't even know if it's still in print. But it is a phenomenal study. And, and I've loved it. I've taught it so many times. Uh, I have been, had it taught to me. I've taught it to adults. Some of the most fun I ever did in ministry was at my first church job when I was a, a youth pastor at a little Baptist church out from Pelahatchie. Uh, we would do Experiencing God as a youth every Wednesday at the, at the, at the Waffle House in Pearl. I mean, it was just, it was just best. I, it was the best. I loved it. I loved that study so much. Let me tell you. Tell you why I love it. I'm going to basically summarize the study for you right now. Why it's so important. We have this—I don't want to say misguided—notion sometimes of the church. It comes from a good place, but basically, our 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 thought is sometimes it is our responsibility to take God from outside of this building where God lives here in the church. It's our job to take God from outside of this building out into the world. Now, listen, there is some truth to that overall concept. Because think about it. On Sundays, we say, as the cross and the light of Christ lead us out into his world, there is something to be said for the fact that we as Christians have a responsibility to share the good news of Jesus Christ with a world in desperate need. Think of what Christ's last command was in Matthew going to all the world, making disciples, and baptizing them in God's name, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That, the Great Commission, that's our commandment as Christians, to take his good news into a world. And y'all, we know, we know this world is in need of the good news right now, don't we? Because everybody out there is angry at something or someone at all times. And it is a cold and a mean and an angry world out there right now. It's a world without hope, a world without faith. I read a great thing today. It was a podcast I was listening to. It talked about how so often the world right now, the dominant emotion that we experience out there in the world seems to be anger. Anger. A lot of folks are angry, aren't they? Anger comes from fear. When you're afraid of something, you get angry about it. You get very anxious about it. If your life is predicated upon fear, you're going to find yourself angry. You just are. If your life is predicated upon the love of God, God's all amazing, all encompassing, all consuming love, you're going to find your life guided by faith and hope. The Bible says this perfect love casts out all fear. The world needs Jesus, y'all. But I'm not mad at anybody. Not a soul out there because I've got faith and I've got hope and I've got love that God is at work and God is doing great things. And when our, life, when our life is predicated upon God's love, when our life is predicated upon the faith that God is at work, when our life is predicated upon God's goodness and God's mercy and God's grace, we are the happiest of all people. Why shouldn't we be happy? Why shouldn't we be joyful? Why shouldn't we be hopeful? Because God is God. I am confident my Redeemer lives, and the grave could not hold him down. So I have no reason to be upset or angry or worried or scared of any of that because I cheated. I read the back of the book. I know who wins. We can be the happiest of all people in a world that is faithless and hopeless because they sometimes can look Christless, our job is to live out the radical good news of Jesus Christ to a world in desperate need of it. Yes, now that is true. That's 100% certainty. But here's the thing. This is what experiencing God says, and experiencing God uses the story of Moses. And the burning bush as kind of its foundational story. The mistake we can make is we think that it's our job to take Jesus to a world out there. Here's what Henry Blackaby does in this beautiful book. He reminds us of this. It's not our job to take Jesus or God to the world out there. Our job is to look around And to see what God is doing and then to join in with what God is doing. Because here's the difference, y'all. If it's up to me to save the world and to take Jesus to everybody, guess who the hero of that story is? That'd be Andy Stoddard. And any story with Andy as the hero is not a good story. It's kind of like the, I've heard a preacher talk about this. We see the story of David and Goliath. When we read that story, we think, ooh, ooh, we are David. And we are slaying the Goliath in our life. Y'all, we're not David. We're not David. We're the helpless Israelites over here watching. Jesus is David. Jesus is slaying the Goliath in our life. Jesus, I am not the hero of the story. Jesus Christ is the hero of the story. This is not about my faithfulness. It's about God's faithfulness. It's not about my goodness or my courage or my strength, but it's about God's goodness and God's ability and God's grace and God's salvation and God's. Power. So I love experiencing God because it tells us our job is not to not to fix everything. Our job is to faithfully look to what God is doing and then join in. And today's text is a perfect encapsulation of this. Let's look look at this. Let's look what happens there in our text. (coughs) We see this in verse 9, where it says this. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Then verse, then verse, um, verse uh, 14. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. Okay. Whose idea was it to go to Macedonia? Was it Paul's? By the way, this is why you're going to run into so many Macedonia churches out there. Macedonia was the first Gentile place Paul went to Macedonia is always synonymous with missions that's why you're going to see so many Macedonia churches in the world because it's synonymous with a call to tell the good news of Jesus but why did Paul go to Macedonia? did Paul say you know what I'm going to go to Macedonia I'm going to go do this no the scripture tells us he had a vision of someone who gave him the vision God God who was it that was at work in Macedonia? It wasn't Paul and his goodness. But it was God calling him to join into what he was doing. So Paul gets to, to Philippi. And he talks to Lydia. And was it Paul's amazing sermon? Paul's persuasive words? Paul's goodness that led Lydia to believe in Christ? No. What does the scripture say? The scripture says this. That the Lord opened her heart to listen to what Paul said. This, This had nothing to do with Paul's goodness or Paul's ability or Paul getting it right. But it was about what God was doing. Paul's job was not to do everything perfectly. Paul's job was to listen and to see and to hear and to experience what God was doing and then join in. That's our job, y'all. That's our job. We have to look and see what God is already doing. God is already at work in the world. God made this world. God will save this world. God is the star, not me and not you, but it's God. Our job is to see what God is doing and then join in. Y'all, here's the problem. There's a a line by a... uh, 90s Christian band I love called Cademan's Call where it says, I'm prone to be distracted in in the corners of my eyes. There's always a distraction pulling us away from what God's doing, isn't it? There's always a distraction in the corner of our eyes. There's always something calling to us, distracting us, pulling away from looking what God is doing. Maybe maybe the distraction is technology. Maybe the distraction is your work. Maybe the distraction is some trauma in your life. Maybe your distraction is your family. I don't know. I don't know what your distraction is, but every one of us, every one of us, the moment we decide to hone in and to faithfully look to what God's doing, we're going to find those distractions, aren't we? They're going to be right here the entire time, just blinking at us. Like that VCR clock, 12, 12, 12, 12, just blinking at us, calling us away from focusing upon God. So, what we've got to do, y'all, what we've got to do, we've got to ground ourselves in the life of God. We've got to ground ourselves in the life of God. And when we ground ourselves in the life of God, we can then truly see what God is doing. It's not that God is not moving. We're just not paying attention. It's not that God is not speaking. We're just not listening. It's not that God is not at work. We're just distracted by all the stuff out there. So We've got to ground ourselves in the life of God so that we can properly see. Without these things, I can kind of see you. I can kind of see some of your faces. I can more or less tell who's out there, but I can't really see when I put this on, I can see better. C.S. Lewis said, "Faith enlivens the eyes." When we ground ourselves in faith, when we ground ourselves in the life of God, when we ground ourselves in God's truth that's revealed to us through Scripture, then we properly see. But we get so distracted. We get so distracted by the corners of our eyes, and we don't pay attention. If we want to experience what God's doing, if we want to truly see and know what God is doing and truly see and know where we need to join in to what God is doing, we've got to ground ourselves in God's truth. What does that look like? I've always said, pray, read your Bible, and go to church. That's three pretty good grounds right there, y'all. Have a life of prayer. Have a life of reading Scripture. And have a life connected to the community of God. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, y'all, if we're praying, we're reading our Bible, and we're connected to this community, we're going to have eyes to see, we're going to have ears to hear, and we're going to have souls receptive to what God is doing, y'all. Because God is at work, y'all. God is at work in our church right now. God is at work within our families. And God is at work within his world. We just have to have the eyes to see. I had a professor of mine at MC, was a very wise professor. Loved loved him dearly. And he would say things to us sometimes that really kind of charted our life. I'll never forget, he came into a, a preacher's class one day. This is all a bunch of young preachers. Man, let me tell you, every young preacher, we think we are a first-round draft pick. Man, we think we're Peyton Manning. We think we're Eli. We think we are our number one draft pick. And whoever got us would be lucky. Oh, boy, boy, how did they be lucky? After experience, you realize, no, 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 you're not a first-round draft pick. You're like a, you're barely an unsigned free agent. Like, no, 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 you're not nearly as, <laughs> you're not really as good as you think you are. But he came into class one day, and he said, boys, never think you're God's last hope. That stayed with me for years. Never think you're God's last hope. God has a lot more up his sleeve than Andy Stoddard. I can guarantee you that. You're never God's last hope. God's got always something else up his sleeve. God's always doing something. God's always at work. And as Kate said in our children's moment this morning, God never sleeps and God never rests because God is always at work. I love one of my favorite of my favorite stories in the entire Bible is Elijah. Elijah is one of my heroes in the Bible. Love him. Because Elijah has this great moment in 1 Kings where he faces down the prophets of Baal. You want to read a good story? Read about Elijah battling the prophets of Baal. Good stuff. So he battles the prophets of Baal. And man, he is amazing And he is brave And he, he is everything you want, man He is a rock It's one of the best stories in all the Bible Great victory And the next day the queen comes to him and says This time tomorrow, you're me be dead Now, mind you He had just faced down Hundreds Of pagan prophets Looked them in the face and called them out Was brave and strong and courageous and one person comes to him and says, "You'll be dead today. You know what this brave prophet of God does?" He runs like a scared dog. I identify with Elijah so much. because sometimes y'all, we're brave and we're strong we get it all figured out. And sometimes we fail out loud for everyone to see. So Elijah runs. Elijah runs. And eventually, God guides him to this cave. and It's at this cave where he stands on the outside of the cave. And Scripture says, a storm came by, and God was not in the storm, and thunder and fire, and God was not in in that. And then eventually, Scripture says that God spoke to him in a still, small whisper. That's that story of Scripture, of the still, small whisper. But when God comes to him, Elijah says this. I'm going to paraphrase here. Lord, I'm all you got, like I'm it. I'm the last train. I'm all you got. And they trying to kill me, so you're in trouble. I'm it, Lord. I'm all you got. I'm it. You ever felt that way sometimes looking on Facebook? Lord, I'm all you got. I'm the only righteous person left in the world. Just me. You know what God says to Elijah? I have reserved 7,000 for myself who have not stooped to kiss the feet of Baal. In other words, son, you have no idea what I have in mind. You are not my last hope. I have more in mind than you can ever imagine. It's not up to me and you to save the world. God's already done that. Our job is to be faithful, living out the gospel for a world in desperate need of hearing the gospel. Our job is to see what God is doing, to see God's movement, to see God's power, to see God's plan, and to join in with what he is doing. He is the hero of the story. Not me, not you, but Jesus It's always Jesus, y'all. It's always Jesus. So may God give us the eyes to see what He is doing, the grace to obey, and the joy for the journey that He's walking with us. Let's pray.